This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you commercial-free by The Cantina, now on Blu-ray. Catch all three episodes of Blurp and Grunchy's Barroom Antics remastered in beautiful 10.80p. The Cantina, buy it today. Jerk. Best way Hello, and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me this week from either the United States, Canada, Mexico, or Panama are Jonah and Sean. Guys, welcome back. Hello, Scott. (laughs) Well, this week we watched an episode of one of the sharpest and wittiest cartoons of the 1990s, a variety series about the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister in their madcap adventures after escaping their imprisonment in the water tower of the Warner Brothers studio lot. Of course, we're talking about Animaniacs. Yeah, I have fond memories of Animaniacs growing up. Um, I was a younger teenager, around Jonah's age now, when it came out. And the adult humor in the show really appealed to me at the time, (laughs) which I think it still appeals to me now as an older adult. Just how it's so veiled. It covers the demographics of, you know, younger kids and also, you know, teenagers. And the adults really get something out of it, too. Yep. Oh, yeah. Now, Jonah, Animaniacs was a show that you really wanted to talk about on the podcast. So what about this cartoon uh, made you like it so much? Um, I'd say, as Dad said, I'd say the adult humor and the references. And because I watched it all as a child. A yeah. younger child, I mean. Yeah, same here. It's a cartoon that I loved when I was your age, uh, like your dad too, and it's pretty amazing that it's still finding an audience with uh, with young people, especially as its references get older and older. I mean, some of these references were really old when I watched them. Yeah, but they still have meaning for you know children and young adults who are now older adults and uh, in their thirties and forties uh, that were teenagers in the nineties. Some of the, the characters they play off of and the, the references they make to movie stars at the time are pretty pretty humorous. Yeah. And the way they're animated is pretty funny. I just love the slapstick type of humor. The characters are great. And it's a great Steven Spielberg production. Yeah. You know, it's it's no surprise with it still finding an audience that it's, like everything else nowadays, being revived for new episodes. So, you know, uh, we, we get to see some more. It'll be interesting to see what references they pull for uh, these new episodes. Yeah, I was excited to hear that, and I'm looking forward to seeing those when they come out. Now, Animaniacs is well-remembered as one of the mainstays of Kids WB. You know, it was a Saturday morning block on the WB network. Uh, But it actually made its debut on the Fox Network's Fox Kids block, September 13th, 1993. Uh, Fox ordered 65 episodes all at once. So season one was technically uh, years long. In total, Fox aired 69 episodes, while the WB aired an additional 30, so a total 99 episodes. The final new episode aired November 14th, 1998, and of course, you know, that total will soon change as the the new episodes will be produced, so, you know, we look forward to seeing that total top 100. Mm -hmm. And uh, we should also note, in 1994, it did have a feature-length theatrically released movie entitled Yakko's Wish. Did you guys ever watch that? No. No, I, I don't think I ever saw that. I think I might have heard of it, but never never saw it. Yeah, I, I did not see it. I remember it, though. I remember hearing about it. Now, this series was also alternatively titled Steven Spielberg Presents, colon, Animaniacs. And that's because it was produced by Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. 
uh, where even though the show was created by Tom Ruger, who also led the writer's room for the show, uh, Steven Spielberg was credited as the show's head writer as well. Yeah, I, I heard that he had a lot to do with the show and really was a, a cheerleader, I guess you could say, for it from the very beginning. Yeah. He really wanted the show to succeed and was pushing all the way for it to get done and, and be the quality that it turned out to be. So it was really a pet project of his, it seemed like. Yeah, and with his backing, it, it became huge. It became very successful, popular. Uh, of course, as we talked about, still well-loved today. And it had that ability just to appeal to all ages. And that certainly was a rarity of that time, especially for something that aired on Saturday morning for kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. And for him to back a cartoon like this, again, it's just, it's just pretty amazing with all the amazing projects. Pretty amazing that he took a shine to this one. And really, you could see his hand in it, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was a pretty regular contributor to the content of Animaniacs. Now, for this episode of the podcast, we watched the episode just entitled Yakko's World slash Cookies for Einstein slash Win Big. And I'm not sure if that was the actual episode title for the airing, but as they're shown on Netflix, or I believe, you know, on the DVD sets as well, they're just titled based on the uh, individual segments within the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it originally aired on September 14th, 1993 on Fox, uh, 24 years ago, almost to the week at the time of our recording. Has it been that long already? 24 years ago? <laughs> wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Crazy. All right, so let's get right into this episode. So we cold open on the black and white segment called Newsreel of the Stars. And this is a take on early 20th century newsreels that would run before features at movie theaters. Uh, the screen is broken up into four quarters, and in each box we get animated caricatures of old Hollywood actors. It's really beautifully done. This Newsreel of the Stars was one of the uh, cold opens for uh, a number of episodes, um, especially the first couple, I recall. Mm -hmm. And they... You know, it, it did appear here and there throughout the series, but a lot of times there was no real cold open. It just went to the Animaniacs uh, theme song. On one of uh, them, I saw that there was uh, a uh, Gilligan's Island parody. Oh, really? <laughs> but this is, I think it's a good way to get a, um, especially for the first few episodes, a good way for the audience to see what this was about. And it gives a good background of who the Animaniacs are in the fictional history. Because it's not a, a common character. It's not like a Bugs Bunny that, you know, has been around since the 30s, even though they have the fake background or, or history of the Animaniacs. So they kind I could see where they would kind of want to explain it a little bit to the audience. How they were created and they escaped and they were locked in the tower and that sort of thing. That's how they, they come around. Yeah, full disclosure, this episode was picked for a segment we'll get into later, which is, you know, one of the most fa famous segments of the whole run of the show. But now watching this uh, and seeing this open, I was like, oh, this is perfect because we'll actually get into the origin story of these characters, which I probably did see when I was a kid, but just completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. So we go right from here to our, our, our announcer showing us the Termite Terrace Animation Studio on the Warner Brothers Hollywood Studio lot in the year 1930. Inside we see, like, you know, a, a really um, interesting look at old Hollywood here, and especially when it comes to, uh, you know, Warner Brothers animation. And uh, we see the animators, you know, at the old desks toiling away. Uh, they're trying to come up with new cartoon stars. And uh, we notice that for some reason there's a nurse in the room. 
looking on. So actually, the, the Termite Terrace reference is from the actual name of the building that the Warner Brothers animators had in the 30s. Because the building was so old initially that they f- were first animating in that they thought no one would want to be there except the termites. They just kept the name going on for the uh, Warner Bros. animation. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, really uh, very close attention to detail. And you could tell, you know, these things are well-loved, these, these old, old Hollywood references. So we see that finally they were able to come up with three new characters. These are the Warner Brothers, Yakko and Wacko, as well as the Warner sister, Dot. And uh, as their noses are colored in red... They leap from the sketch on the drawing table into the real world with Yakko and Wacko. They just leap into the nurse's arms and Dot hops onto the animator's lap. And this is where we get our first catchphrase here, or one of the many catchphrases here. Hello, nurse. I have something to add about their, the names of them. You think about the Warner Brothers is, you know, the brothers and the Warner Brothers logo. And mm-hmm. then Dot is the period that comes after both of them. Oh, Okay. I didn't even think about that. That's that's interesting. Maybe thinking a little too deep into it. But. <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned too, Scott, the uh, the nurse or hello nurse, which I guess is her official name, mm-hmm. is shown in the animation studio as the Animaniacs are being created, and also, um, which I thought was pretty funny, the guard whose name is Ralph T. Guard, <laughs> apparently, okay, is is also there, which is interesting since this is supposed to take place in you know nineteen thirty ish. You know, why would they be there? And, or is it a predecessor of the two characters from the, the 90s? Yeah. When they're released from the water tower. It's just an interesting, like, maybe they just needed a filler. And why would they need a nurse at an animation studio is, is beyond us. <laughs> so they could say hello to her. So they could say hello, nurse. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just funny that they put those two characters, probably just drew them in there, not even thinking. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, these characters were, as we learn here, are from 1930. So, you know, they're already in their 60s by the time we get to the 90s. It, you know, it's completely anachronistic as we'll go through it. You know, there's... Yeah, yeah. Time means nothing to these characters. It's pretty zany. And uh, we'll learn this right off the bat here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't look too deep into this, like Jonah said, but it's just an interesting continuity thing. Yeah. If you're keeping track of that sort of thing. Which you shouldn't. No, exactly. No, please don't. <laughs> you say to yourself, it's just a show and you should really just relax. <laughs> yes, yes. And that, well, that's another episode we'll do another time. <laughs> so uh, we should mention the Warners here. They're voiced by three of the greatest voice actors of all time. You know, what a cast here. We got Rob Paulson doing the voice of Yakko, uh, Jess Harnell doing the voice of Wacko, and Tress McNeil as the voice of Dot. Yeah, especially, they're all fantastic, especially I was doing some um, research and I actually heard an interview very recently with Rob Paulson, mm-hmm. and what a talented guy, not only doing Gakko's voice, but also Pinky, Yeah, and Pinky in the Brain, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but he has had such a, a huge career, you know, he was in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, mm-hmm. he was the voice of Raphael, and also now there was a... The new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series in Nickelodeon, he's Donatello yeah. for that series. An extreme talent. And I'm always fascinated by voice actors and how quickly they can transform to their their voices they do and mm-hmm. jump back and forth. And during the interview, he went from y- to Yakko in just seconds. And it just amazes me that they, he could do that without any preparation time. And it's just second nature. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and I think he even has a podcast. I think it's called Talkin' Tunes. Yes, yeah, and they talk about with other voice actors 
Um, I know he mentioned that he had talked to Mark Hamill recently because, of course, Mark Hamill was famous for his not only his Star Wars work, uh, among other things, but he was the voice actor of the Joker. Yeah. I believe he was in Batman the Animated Series. Was he the Joker? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. As well as uh, Hobgoblin in the Spider-Man series. Not as popular, but still, you know. Another, yeah. Uh, another great thing he's known for. So he's very much still in the business and has a love for, for animation in general. And it's had a huge, I mean, his credits are really too long to list. Yeah. But just tons and tons of all sorts of, up to this day, still a working um, voice actor. Video games, animations, it's amazing, really. Yeah, check out his IMDb sometime. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Same with Jess Arnell and Tress McNeil. You know, of course, a, yeah. A similar resumes. Un- unbelievably long. And I like I mentioned, they're, they're some of the best voice actors of all time. There's another all-time great in this cartoon. We'll get to him a little later, too. Yes. Okay, so back to the episode. We learned that the Warner kids were out of control. They were forcing the animators to flee into the streets. Uh, do you remember the sound that they were making in the streets here? Boingy, 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 <laughs> boingy, boingy. It's very funny. <laughs> Uh, The Warners ran amok through the studio, demolishing cars, uh, vandalizing the studio property. That is, until they were captured by this guard, Ralph T. Guard. uh, With a net, if I remember correctly. Yeah, on the end of a fishing pole. Yeah, a fishing pole and a net. (laughs) Very interesting contraption here. Uh, We cut to the Warner Brothers executives in a theater, reacting with shock and confusion as the, the narrator tells us that the Warners films made absolutely no sense. And they were locked away in the studio vault, never to be released again. Some it, looks like disgust there. I saw also. Yes, you wonder what their films actually were. They were extremely disturbing. Yeah, they must have been just so insane. So not only were their films never to be released, the Warners themselves were locked away in the studio water tower of all places, uh, also never to uh, see the light of day. Yeah, and I think that wa- I didn't get a chance to look this up. I think the water tower actually exists still. Oh, really? Okay. The WB, I, I believe. I could be totally off on this, but I recall seeing that at the Warner Brothers or did exist for a time, maybe not any longer. So it was an actual water tower as far as I recall. That's funny. Yeah, Someone that, can correct me on that if I'm totally off base. but It's something, you know, obviously a, a busy studio like that would have needed in the 30s, maybe not uh, anymore, but uh, it'd be interesting if they just kept it along as a relic. Yeah, kind of like how Disney had their, at the MGM Studios, Hollywood Studios, had their version of the water tower also. Hmm. I think it's a, it was a pretty common thing just to have water towers, especially in Southern California back yeah. in the day. But I think it with the big WB logo, I believe it did exist, or still does exist. Yeah, it, it was uh, part of the imagery of the cartoon, too. You know, if you get like the... The home releases, you'd see the Warner Brothers in the water tower. Uh, when they had, I think it was a McDonald's toy or Burger King, I'm not sure. I think it was McDonald's, though. The, uh, you get the water tower toy with the the uh, Warner Brothers and Warner Sister bursting out of it. You know, so this water tower was a, a big part of their story, as we'll, as we'll see. We'll see the water tower later, too. Yes. So the studio went on through the years denying that they even knew them, down to this very day, modern times, you know, which is really, you know, the 90s. And from here, the scene changes from black and white to color. And uh, this very day that the narrator refers to is the day that the Warners escaped. So we get this uh, musical sting as we now fade to black. Mm -hmm. Now from here, we open on the show's opening sequence, finally. Uh, We get the the Warners uh, singing the theme song, which uh, also explains the basic premise of the show. You know, the three characters, they're zany to the max. 
they, they escape the WB Studios water tower to get involved in crazy antics until they're caught again. And uh, yeah, what do you guys think of this uh, opening sequence, the theme song and everything? It's, it's a great theme song, very high energy. And I love how they introduce the other segments, you know, Pinky in the Brain, Slappy the Squirrel. So you get, get an idea of what's going to be coming up with the rest of those three segments, yeah. potentially. I love the 90s references, too. The <laughs> yes. one I always I always remember is, um, and the Prez plays the sax, of course, referring to Bill Clinton and having a caricature of Bill Clinton playing the saxophone. Yeah. I know there's a, a bunch of them. I, I could hum the thing into my head and probably sing most of it, but I'm not going to. But there's so many cool references from that time period. And just get stuck in your head, but not in a, a negative way. Yeah, Bill Clinton playing the sax, that was uh, something that he famously did during his 1992 campaign. I believe it was on the Arsenio Hall show. Yes. And uh, it was such a moment in culture, pop culture, that uh, for some reason the Animaniacs put it in in their theme song. So every episode you're going to get that. Baloney in your slacks, too, which I think was a rhyming of plays a sax, but yeah. Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, we get all these little um cutaways to different characters running around pinky in the brain the good feathers they good were those feathers. um the city pigeons that were a take on good fellas uh slappy the squirrel you mentioned uh, mindy and buttons uh, yeah. where mindy's yeah. just kind of like running on the steel beams and buttons is nervously chasing after her uh rita the cat uh i was trying to think obviously pinky in the brain which uh you know got their own spin-off later on yes mm-hmm and it mentioned some of, I don't think it mentioned the other smaller, I guess you call them vignettes. I don't know if that's the proper term or not. But they have good idea, bad idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Which is like a, you know, less than 30 second long thing between segments. Uh, Katie Kaboom, which always cracks me up as a kid. <laughs> about a teenager who just, you know, gets so upset about something and she just explodes and turns into a monster. <laughs> and her parents, like, you know, and her her brother, I think it was, go into a like a bomb shelter every time and put on helmets and <laughs> Katie Kaboom. And um what was that other one? That kid comes out of the, the doorway. Remember that one, Scott? He comes comes out of his house and walks down the uh Oh I remember that one he tells like he tells a joke and then goes back into the Or house. it just says like a stupid story about something and goes back okay, bye bye and he goes back into the house. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot the kid's um, name is. Like saying that uh, his aunt was out and she felt her dog licking her foot. And then she looked down and was just a crazy guy and he ran away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like this little out of nowhere uh, story that comes out of this kid. Yeah, so it was, that was a weird story. I remember hearing about that one. Like, really? That wasn't a kid's cartoon? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just And that's where the adult type humor comes into play. Where yeah. a, a child is going to see that and just laugh at it because it's a funny visual. But a adult would see that and be like, oh, is there, is there more meaning into this? Oh. And we see that throughout the series. I mean, Yakko, I think Yakko's favorite line in some of the episodes, when someone says something that's a little risque or can be considered risque, where he goes, oh, okay, good night, folks. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody, or good night, folks. <laughs> that's, that's just a little, you know, his way of saying, okay, a little too much. So as the song winds down, we get that, you know, we're in a mani, totally insane And they th- I think it, here they say Pinky and the Brainy, Animaniacs, yep. those are the facts, and that ends the song. Now, here we get the line, Pinky and the Brainy. That was a line that was substituted frequently uh, with other lines. Um, it was almost like if you can, you know, equate it to the couch gag on The Simpsons. You know, they were going to change it. I-, I believe almost every episode, they might have cycled through a couple. But uh, I remember one was uh, The Rain in Spainy. Yeah, and it's always uh, something that Amy, and actually in the Wikipedia entry, or they actually have a 
Animaniacs Wiki, they refer to that as the variable verse. Okay. Because it can change every, you know, it does change every, um, every episode. So that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of some others that I remember. I didn't want to go back and look, but I was like, what kind of other ones? And I remember Citizen Kaney was another one with the Rosebud Sled. Yes, there's just so many. It's just like the Futurama um, opening credits tag that changes yeah. every single episode. It's just something to look out for. And it just, I mean, really shows that uh, there must have been a lot of work to record all of those. They could have just kept it with one static thing for the entire run, but yeah. they... Took the effort to, to mix it up a little bit and edit it in, so. Well, it's only a two or three second clip, so it's not really that hard to edit in, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's work, though. It's effort. Yeah, it's extra it animation. Shows, it shows the, you know, product. Yeah, and animation time, definitely. Right. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. So, anyway, the opening sequence ends, and here we get our first segment of the episode. This is a good one. This is called The Nations of the World, or Yakko's World. Uh, probably the most famous, or at least one of the most famous segments in the entire run of the series. So here, just to set the stage for those listening, we, we get Yakko in front of a, a political map of the world. You might have seen this already, but uh, here he's singing a song whose lyrics are solely comprised of the names of, well, the nations of the world. And as he hops around singing, he points to each place that he sings with a pointer, and on the map, the corresponding nation lights up. Now, Guys, I could spend an hour just on this song, <laughs> so we're we're not gonna do that. But I have always loved this song, as a, you know, since being a kid and first seeing it. But there is plenty to nitpick here. It's not right. perfect by any measure. Did you guys notice that too? Yes, I noticed some stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, and of course, you have to realize that this was almost twenty-five years ago, so a lot has changed with the geography of the the world, yes. country-wise, in twenty-five years. But even Back when it was first recorded, there's, there's a bunch of errors in uh, the geography from the time that were, you know, that they, they screwed up on. Yeah. One they didn't understand. And I don't know if a lot of it was political or just for... Rhyming purposes. Rhyming purposes. Thank you, Jonah. But there were a bunch of errors I noticed. Right. There's this one error when they're talking, and they're in the Asia part of it, they're talk, they said Korea mm -hmm. instead of North and South Korea, even though on the map it was divided into two parts. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a couple notes on this too, Scott. I mean, Yakko's World is fantastic, and it really opened the door for a bunch of other, like, skits throughout the, the history of Animaniacs. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Yakko uh, sings every word in the English language is one of them. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of them. There was one about the um, state capitals, I believe. There's one Yakko's, about the universe. The universe. I get, like you mentioned, they are the outstanding ones that I always remembered above any other skit that they have done. Just because they're so... It's educational, too, honestly. Yeah. I and mean, they should really show it in schools because it's funny and it's educational. They do. And sometimes they do. Yeah, they, they showed in my history class last year. Oh, really? So let's see, they're showing... I mean, again, it's, it's a little bit outdated at this point, but some interesting things I saw about this. Do you know who was written by, Scott? No. Randy... I, I'm, I'm probably saying this wrong. Rogel... He was a writer for Batman the Animated Series, and as the story goes, from Rob Paulson actually, he heard when Animaniacs was being created that Steven Spielberg was creating this new show and what you know the basic premise was, and he wanted he wanted it in. So he somehow finagled a meeting with the producers or you know the creative talent. Steven Spielberg himself most likely heard this, and Yakko's World was his audition. Huh. For to him to be on the show. They basically said, what do you have? You know, for a musical type number. That's what they said they're looking for. 
And he came out exactly as you see it here. You know, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, the whole <laughs> the whole thing. That was it. That was his audition. Wow. And that's how he got it. And that's why it's so early in the, in the series also, because they must have heard it and said, this is amazing. Let's, you know, work around this. Yeah. And that's how he got involved. And he actually was the writer and the composed Yakko's Universe and many of the other song type things in Animaniac skits. Also a point about Rob Paulson in this. He to this day, and I was amazed when I heard this. I heard him on a podcast recently where he did this. He could do it and he will do it in Yakko's voice from memory on command basically. The entire song. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I was shocked that he was able to do it. And I just asked him, you know, can you can you do it? Oh, yeah. And he, he just went off and without missing a, a beat with the inflections in the same way it is in the show. And you kind of wonder how many times he had to do it <laughs> when he was first recording it. That's why it probably has the instant recall. And that was, again, 25 years ago when he, he did that. And it's just amazing. And he just loves it so much. But like Jonah mentioned, I, that's one I noticed, too, about Korea is mentioned instead of North and South Korea. They say um, USSR, too, I think. I, I think they say Russia. Yeah, he says it, it's weird, you know, because you try to like pinpoint, okay, well, when when was the song written? Uh, it was after the German reunification and the breakup of the Soviet Union. So we get the lyrics, you know, Germany now in one piece, uh, but we don't get any former Soviet republics other than Russia. Uh, there was a couple of other things I noticed that you'll hear a lot of places that are part of countries and not countries themselves. So uh, Greenland is mentioned, even though it's, you know, part of Denmark. Uh, Scotland, part of the UK, uh, and then you get like uh, islands of uh, Indonesia, like Sumatra, Borneo, uh, Crete is an island of Greece, but they're all mentioned by name, you know, so on and so on. There's so many of them. It also, you know, in, in defense of the song, too, it, it is nations of the world, not countries or not, so okay. you know, sovereign nations. So we could get a lot of lands that see themselves, you know, as, as a nation, you know, like Scotland, uh, you know, uh, Greenland. Even though they are part of uh, a different country, you know, they're part of a different sovereign nation. So maybe you could go, okay, well, that's why you get Greenland, Scotland, Crete. I, you know, it, it's not exact. But that being no, said, yeah. I have to mention too, there are some really strange mistakes that I can't defend here. Um, Yako mentions Puerto Rico, but then later San Juan, which is the capital of Puerto Rico. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, I saw one that was interesting, Romania, and he calls it Transylvania. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think it's, I don't know when the last time it was called. Well, it's a part of Romania. Yeah, it's not, region, yeah. It's a region of Romania. It's not a separate country. Also, if you want to get technical, and this goes into your description of nations compared to countries, Puerto Rico, San Juan, obviously, um, Guam, they're all territories of the United States. Yes. So technically, it mentions the United States four times. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was weird. And then even, uh, you know, talking about doubling up, he mentions Benin and Dahomey, which uh, Dahomey was the former name of Benin. So he mentions the same country twice by two different names. Yes. It's so, and also one other one I saw was, uh, which I thought was funny because I haven't heard this in a long time, Abu Dhabi. Oh, does he mention is, that? Yeah. Yeah. As, as Again, that's the capital of the United Arab Emirates. But I mean, again, it's hard to say United Arab Emirates and... and uh, rhyme that i guess in abu dhabi so that's probably why yeah oh yeah like like jonah mentioned it was you know for rhyming purposes only yes you know and and this this show does not uh make itself out to be educational by any stretch so they were just kind of having a little fun with it and uh, that's how you have to take it you can't take it as well you know like i said this and this and this is wrong and you know we could spend an hour going over 
There's even an, an addendum to the song that Rob Paulson will sing that features some more countries, some of the former Soviet republics, I believe, are in there, and some Pacific Island nations are in there, and it adds... Uh, more to the song, more countries that maybe were forgotten the first time or have since become independent. And so uh, that's interesting. That's on YouTube too. I think uh, uh, Kevin pointed that out to me. Yes. Yeah. It's um, it's a, it's a few lines along and it actually goes, it's pretty funny because I have it right in front of me and it goes into the second line is what well, goes Montenegro and Bosnia, Herzegovina. How do you say it? Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Soviet Union is gone. And it goes into, you know, basically breaking down um, all of the uh, the Stan countries yep. from the f- uh, former Soviet Union. But I think it's pretty funny that they did that update of it and, and cared enough and, and about the complaints that they decided to do a little update. I think that was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a fun song. It's meant to be more fun than educational. And yes, it's it's great. I've always loved geography, so I've always had a fondness for this song. And yeah. So what, what do you guys think? Good segment? Oh, yeah. Awesome yes. segment. The funniest thing I like about it is that the music is of the uh, the Mexican hat dance, which is just, it's just really funny that they, for some reason, it cracks me up that they use that as the, uh, the tempo for this song. Probably public domain, so, you know, didn't have to pay anything for it. All right, and that brings us to our next segment of the cartoon, Cookies for Einstein. Uh, this was written by Paul Rugg, who is also a voice actor. And the man that voiced Albert Einstein in this very cartoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, directed by Alfred uh, Gimino. Gimino? Gimino, yeah. We open on the city of Bern, Switzerland in the year 1905, which our narrator tells us is the home of cheese, clocks, chocolate, and neutrality. <laughs> but mostly chocolate. <laughs> so next we see the Warners strolling into town. Uh, they're selling cookies to support the Kid Scouts. And yodeling a song about their fundraising mission. Yeah, the yodeling cracked me up. That's the first thing that got me for this uh, this uh, skit. <laughs> I love the musical parts of this, and it seems like every skit there is at least one, you know, small musical number. Yeah. Uh, even if it's only a couple couple seconds long. Of course, you know, Kid Scouts is a play on Boy Scouts slash Girl Scouts and selling the cookies. Just funny, again, we see how silly the show is. Since now they're time traveling back to 1905, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Austria or, or Switzerland, which is, I mean, again, it makes no sense because they're supposed to be created in the 30s, but you can't look too deeply into it. Yeah, we just saw them be created years later, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the enemy yeah. can jump a space and time, apparently, and go wherever they want. Yeah, and have cameos from other characters in that place that they time travel to. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Wacko, we'll see, is distracted by a Swiss Miss in her tray of hot chocolate. Uh, take on, you know, the Swiss Miss brand of hot chocolates. But uh, Yakko reigns him in, telling him that they still have one more house left, and they only need to sell one more box of cookies to get their merit badges. Funny how that worked out. I think he does, a like, a hello Swiss Miss or something. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, I believe, if I remember, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he did one of those, hello Swiss Miss, or, or something <laughs> of that nature. Pr- drawn pretty... Risque also risque drawing of the of the Swiss Miss. Oh yeah, yeah. She's um, she's drawn like, like a nurse. nurse. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, as they walk towards the quaint house surrounded by the Swiss Alps, beautiful uh, animation, beautiful backgrounds here. We should mention. Uh, yeah, we see the name Albert Einstein on the mailbox, and uh, Dot thinks the name sounds dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> Dot's taste in men is very interesting throughout the the run. <laughs> So cutting inside, we see Albert Einstein busy at work using a chalkboard to formulate a new theory, or at least he's trying to come up with one. We should mention, uh, this is not how old he was in the year 1905. He was a a young man. 
1905. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that. Um, <laughs> that's another thing you can't look too deeply into. Yeah. They're showing the Albert Einstein from, you know, 1950s, right before he passed away. He yeah. died in 55. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't show Albert Einstein in 1905 because no, no kid would know who he was. Mm-hmm. You have a pretty good reference point of who Albert Einstein by, you know, which I referenced in this episode, the the famous picture of him sticking out his tongue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the frazzled-haired o- older man. Albert Einstein in 1905 was, again, like you mentioned, a younger man. Was probably still a patent clerk at that time, if mm. I remember correctly. Maybe not. And, uh, you know, Albert Einstein was, was from Germany. He was a German native. So, I mean, I guess you could split hairs and say Germany has a, a big cultural significance on, on Switzerland. But technically, I don't think, I don't know if he ever lived in Switzerland. So, uh, cutting inside, we see him, as I mentioned, he's he's on the chalkboard and uh, we get some of these formulas for what, what's the one he says? Uh, if the the sun is P and gravity is H, it makes a pfft. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's really confused at this point. Yeah, he's he's got nothing. We see. Uh, in fact, if you look in the backgrounds, there's some like little <laughs> there's some little formulas written in the backgrounds on some of the chalkboards. Uh, there's a, a reference to a BLT. That's one that I noticed. Yep. <laughs> as well as uh, STP equals OIL, STP oil. <laughs> so Einstein, he's just disappointed in his efforts. He's saying that the theory of relativity has escaped him. And just then the doorbell rings. He opens the door and, of course, encounters the Warners. And we get this weird that he, he they think he's a dermatologist. Uh, yeah, they keep on going on about the dermatologist. And, and yeah. it all comes from, he, he's talking about black holes, and they, they think he's talking about blackheads. Yeah. And they think that uh, his title as a physicist has something to do with cysts. It was pretty yes. gross. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and Scott, if I can make a correction here. Yeah. I have to uh, redact the previous statement I made. He between I'm looking at his his Wikipedia page right now, Albert Einstein's. Between 1895 and 1914, he lived in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So he did live in Switzerland during that time. So it is accurate. Okay. Th- this episode of uh, Animaniacs. <laughs> it's just one accurate detail. Yes. <laughs> one per segment. And in actually in 1905, he was a PhD at that point. Oh wow! Already. So yeah, he, he was out of the uh, the old patent clerk game at that point. So. They attempt to sell him their cookies. You know, he says he's busy. I'm trying to unlock the mysteries of the universe. And he slams the door on them. Uh, Wacko, you know, just so defeated, says goodbye to his merit badges. Dot even gives some sort of dramatic monologue about heartache. <laughs> yeah. We get a spotlight that appears out of nowhere on her. It's just a, just an act. And they, they applaud her for it afterwards. <laughs> this is pretty funny. But Yakko is determined. Uh, they're going to sell Albert Einstein a box of cookies or they're going to die trying or try dying or do some tie dying. <laughs> so cutting inside, Einstein is timing the speed of light with a stopwatch and a lamp. Yeah, it was pretty funny. They, Boy, that's quick. <laughs> uh, he next walks over to his chalkboard. Uh, here we get a couple of more little formulas. One says H2O equals wet. <laughs> and uh, the other says p equals bm cubed i was wondering if that was a little toilet humor i can't i saw that too and i, I can't i can't imagine <laughs> 
So flipping the chalkboard over, he finds the Warners clinging to the other side, because of course they defy physics as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, they yell hello in unison and jump at him, planting big Bugs Bunny-like kisses on his face. He once again refuses the cookies, even though he's uh, briefly tempted by a Chia Pet, but he refuses that too. Yeah, he really liked that Chia Pet. That was uh, yeah. that was a selling point there, I thought. Uh, you guys ever have a Chia Pet? No. Uh, Your dad won't point. let you get a Chia no. Pet? Yeah, that's that's why I don't have one. I don't let them. Um, <laughs> I think I had one as a kid and it never grew anything. No, I the ads were very misleading. I, I spread the seeds and watered it and tried to watch it grow and it never grew. Oh no, I had, I had quite the opposite. If if the the chia company is listening, you know, please be a sponsor. I I had one and it it worked great. And please, chia pet company, if you are listening, send me another chia pet or the chia head. I prefer honestly. I had a pig. Like, you had a pig? Chia pig. Aren't they all pigs? Or some kind of pig-like animal? Four-legged yeah. animal, yeah. Yeah. I like the chia head. That's my favorite. I like seeing the hope of a bald man growing hair is, <laughs> is what gets me. Yeah, they might have even had a, a chia Einstein now that I think about it. They should have. That could have been... <laughs> oh, I mean, probably getting the rights to that would have been a nightmare, but... <laughs> yeah, he would be dead so they wouldn't be able to get permission to use his likeness. Just so. have to go through his family and it's a whole big legal thing. That would be an yeah. awkward conversation. Yes. Yeah. Hey, why don't I make a chia pet of your uh, husband's head? <laughs> you what? I want to make a chia pet of your husband's head. I need the rights for it. I think Mrs. Einstein is also long gone, so I don't think that would be an issue, but still, his next akin, wherever they may be. <laughs> so, uh, with great aggravation now, he tells them that, you know, he's busy trying to find an equation that explains the universe, and Yakko tells him, you know, stick to skin disorders. Thinking that he's still a dermatologist. <laughs> uh, we get a little more Bugs Bunny-like humor here. Yakko tells him that if he doesn't want the cookies, well, he should just leave. And he refuses, and then Yakko replies, all right, then you leave. And then he says, fine, and he marches out of his own house <laughs> down the walkway until he realizes at the very end, he realizes, you know, he's been had. He's, he lives there, yeah. I didn't think they were going to get him, because, you know, it's Albert Stein. That's a thought that went through my head. He's too smart to fall for this. Yeah, he got it at first. He caught him at first, and then he, then Yakko tried it again. Fine, then you leave. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine. It's very funny. It just, you know, the the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons of, you know, duck season, rabbit season, you know, that kind of thing. Just reminds me of those. Yes. So, Albert runs back in, gives the Warners the boot, but still determined, Yakko tells the siblings, well, now it's time for the hard sell. So that, that wasn't even the hard sell. <laughs> Climbing into the guy's house, kissing him on the head, and forcing him out of his own house. That wasn't the hard sell. That's coming up. So we wipe back into Einstein's house just as he finished boarding up his door, uh, pushing furniture in front of it. He proceeds to pull down the window blinds, but finds that the Warners are flattened and curled up inside. No use. <laughs> So he jumps behind his desk, yelling, you! But uh, Yakko pulls out a sheep from thin air and says, this is a you. You know, E-W-E. Uh, we're just plain old us. Uh, we see that they're uh, dressed in tacky green plaid sports coats. The Warners approach Einstein's desk as uh, cheesy TV salespeople almost. They offer to throw in the amazing Acme Pocket Fisherman, which, remember the Pocket Fisherman, Sean? Those yes, were big, absolutely. like, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Which was, I believe it was, like, a collapsible fishing rod. It was a little fishing pole you could put in your pocket. Yeah, you could carry it around anywhere. How well it works or how well it could have possibly worked, I have no idea. But that was one of those, uh, yeah, act now and you'll get this. Is twenty nine ninety five value or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me, there was, like, a lot of Ron Popeil 
uh, yes. sales pitches on TV. I think that's what they were going for here. But they were really playing up the, uh, you know, the cheesy, almost like they were trying to be like used car salesman cheesy here. With the sports jackets and tacky looking yeah. sports jackets, yeah. But see here, their pocket fisherman was not the collapsible fishing rod, but rather a tiny pocket-sized man. Uh, he comes with his own tiny fishing pole, uh, tackle box, and potty, as uh, Yakko puts out an outhouse, which the man immediately runs in to use. <laughs> uh, they also offer the Acme hair magnet, which begins to pull out his hair with great strength. Is interesting. We'll see that in use. And and uh, Yakko and Dot begin to work on him with brushes, hairspray, as Wacko takes his picture, telling him to smile. But he looks at the photo with disappointment, seeing that instead of Einstein smiling, he stuck his tongue out. And That's this... where you get the famous view of that. Yeah, the famous exactly. picture of Einstein sticking his uh, his tongue out, yeah. Yeah, so now he has frizzy hair and his tongue sticking out. Yeah, perfect recreation of the photo. So... Yakko now throws to Dot, who is now an operator at an Acme call center. I mean, this completely, you know, <laughs> defies reality here. Uh, she tells him that if he calls now, they'll throw in the book Unexplained Mysteries of Fudge. <laughs> have you guys ever read that book? I have, yeah. I have um, actually a first edition. Wow. Yeah. It's hmm. worth, you is it know. signed by the author? It is. It is, yes. <laughs> so you, you know the mysteries of Fudge now. I, I know all the mysteries of Fudge. And I have some questions of my own about Fudge, too. But wow. Yes. So Einstein sits at his desk and breaks down. He's crying and just pounding the table with his fists. Wacko, now dressed in a Star Trek uniform, says, you know, I don't think he can take any more, Captain. <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> Einstein asks how he could eat cookies with the theory of relativity having escaped him. He, he erases the chalkboard and he just calls himself a failure. Did you, did you catch what he called himself here? No. In his moment of self-pity, Einstein is a dummy, stupid Einstein dummy boy. Dummy boy, oh yeah, I remember that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hard on himself here. Uh, the Warners now try to cheer him up with a song. This is the Acme song. And very clever, actually, the Acme song. It involves spelling the word Acme, and of course Acme we know from Warner Brothers cartoons is where Wile E. Coyote bought all his stuff. Yes. So this isn't, you know, a word that they brought in. Just for this, you know, it it was from Warner Brothers cartoons. So there's that, continuity here, yes. Yeah, exactly. So they they sing how to spell it: A C M E, A C M E, and then they start to sing it backwards: E M C A. And do you kind of see where this is going? Yeah. E M C A. So as Wacko sings and writes E M C A on the chalkboard, he just so happens to draw the lowercase a as something that looks almost like a two and it's a little higher than the rest of the letters up next yep. to the C and uh, yes. zoom in on Einstein's face and he stares at the board wide eyes his pupils are replaced by spinning atoms <laughs> which is the the Bohr atomic model one of uh, Einstein's contemporaries uh, he runs to the board knocking the Warners over and as dramatic music plays he writes just an equal sign between yeah, the E and the M yep <laughs> And he shouts, it's the theory of relativity. E equals MC squared. And uh, the, the Warners are geniuses and his shouts are heard throughout the town. Now, if we really want to nitpick here, it's not the theory of relativity. It's the uh, the mass energy equivalency yes. formula. But, you know. Anything having mass has an equivalent amount of energy and vice versa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was a very important uh, physics uh, discovery. Yes, a huge discovery breakthrough. Discovery physics. A huge, huge, huge. But all thanks to the Warners, which uh, I think even Yako points out, like, you keep drawing, you keep making your A's look like a two. 
<laughs> yeah, he plays, he's parading them for it. <laughs> yeah, that cracked me up. And uh, it works out for everybody, because here we now cut to Sweden. Uh, we see the, the Nobel Prize in Physics being awarded to Albert Einstein and the Warners. They're yes. all dressed up and on stage. It's like a happy ending. Yes. You know, and that's funny you say that, Scott, because a lot of the Animaniacs, their own skits, they refer to the same, they have the same kind of theme, where the Animaniacs are trying to either sell something or do something or get something signed. And the person they encounter, whether they be famous or otherwise, is mm-hmm. the same kind of resistance as Albert Einstein showed in this episode. Mm-hmm. To the point where he's boarding up the house and he's trying to get him away <laughs> no matter what. And they keep on persisting, persisting. That's a common theme um, in some of the episodes. It's like mm-hmm. the Beethoven episode. Which, yes. Yes, that was a very funny episode. One of my favorites. Well, they were trying, were they trying to give the Beethoven, do you remember? They were trying to give him a chimney sweep, but they were being really noisy and they were... And they were humming. Do, 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 do. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they were being chimney sweeps in that episode, and they were, you know. So it's that same kind of premise, but this is one of the only ones I I recall where it turned out with a the happy type of ending. Yeah. And they really didn't make Einstein as being the, the bad guy, whereas in a lot of them, like, I think, I think even the Beethoven one, they... Beethoven was like a jerk, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and had this horrible attitude. But in this one, Einstein is, you know, I, I mean, how do you make fun of or, or make Einstein out to be the villain, you know, in, in the long, at the end right. of the day? Yeah. It's Einstein. So, but most of the other ones I recall, the famous person is the villain or the, uh, the jerk in the episode that they're trying to mm-hmm. just do their thing. And, you know, the kissing it of the dot kissing them or them kissing them and all the skits that go in, involved come into play, but doesn't end out so well for the person at the end. Yeah, I was totally expecting, you know, because I, I, I hadn't seen this in years, so I totally forgot about it. But I was expecting where they were going to be awarded the Nobel Prize and it was going to go to the Warners and not Albert Einstein. And he was going to be yes. all upset <laughs> and steam coming out of his ears or whatever. Uh, but no, they they all they all got the award. And uh, yeah, the, the only uh, disappointment was that it wasn't quite a merit badge for them. But, you know, it'll do. Yes. That's pretty great. So, uh, so ending this segment now. Uh, so, what are your thoughts, Jonah? Did, did you like this segment? Yes, of course I did. This is a great one. Yeah, this is, this is really funny. That's just a really good example of what was to come for the rest of the episodes, and just a, a good way to lay some tracks. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, you bring up the point about you know, like the famous people or the people that they harass end up being kind of like the villains because they're so annoyed. You know, maybe maybe this was so early on in the series where the famous person really didn't get any comeuppance at the end, even though they really didn't deserve it. They're the ones being harassed. But, you know, every maybe this is so early on where they're like, okay, a nice ending. And later on, okay, well, maybe the, the Warners are going to win out in the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to get their way. Yes. Okay, now this brings us to our next segment. And uh, here we open on the exterior of Acme Labs at night. Again, Acme. Cutting inside, the camera zooms in on a cage sitting on a table. In the cage is a mouse named Pinky. As you mentioned, this is voiced by Rob Paulson, who asks, Gee, Brain, what do you want to do tonight? To which Brain replies, The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Now, remember earlier I said there was another all-time great voice actor in this show? Yes. Uh, The voice of Brain here is done by the great Maurice LaMarche. Yes. Yes. Who we know from uh, Futurama as Kiff and other characters. I mean, he's just, he's another guy that's been in everything. Yeah, he, he's a, a huge, huge name in the, the voice acting community. 
Yeah, I had a few roles in this episode. The brain he played in this one, Ralph Cramden, the, the reference to Ralph Cramden. Oh, yeah. Yep. And also the announcer. I think he did a lot of the announcing, announcer's voices. Okay. Um, in some of the episodes, especially this one. And uh, the the announcer of uh, Yakko's world at the beginning. Yeah, and even if you're not familiar with the name Maurice LaMarche, I mean, there is no doubt you've heard his voice before. I I think uh, as of late, he was doing uh, Mercedes-Benz commercials. Um, You know, good good narrator, voiceover type voice, but great character voices, too. He was uh, big on The Critic, which was a a great show in the 90s, and as we mentioned, Futurama, obviously. Uh, For Brain's voice, he draws heavily from a great impression he does of Orson Welles. Oh, uh, you know... It is an awesome Orson Welles impression. I can't believe it's so good, honestly. Oh, it's <laughs> You'd so almost good. think it is Orson Welles if Orson Welles hadn't passed away in 1985 or whenever he passed away. Yeah. Um, that was Orson Welles because it's so good. Even just the facial mannerisms of, of Brain, or the Brain, I guess, would mm-hmm. be the pro- appropriate way to say his name. Kind of our Orson welles in appearance, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if... if we could talk another hour about Orson Welles and his his life and his history. Yeah. But I, I listened to something recently. Uh, it's on YouTube. And if anybody gets a chance, it's really funny. Orson Welles, and this actually prompted me re-watching this episode to look this up again. Of course, he was famous for, you know, directing many numerous hits. Uh, most famous was... Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Citizen Kane. And he just had so many issues going on later in his later life. That he was, he actually was uh, relegated to doing commercials. And, I mean, how that happens to such an awesome director and actor is beyond me how that you get to that point. But there is a commercial out there. It's actually a, an outtakes from a commercial that he never finished for peas, frozen peas. It's a real thing. It's actually referenced in uh, some of the Pinky and the Brain episodes about frozen peas. And it basically is the outtake. It's not even outtakes. It's him criticizing Orson Welles criticizing the direction of the peas, <laughs> or, or of the of the script that was written for him to read. And he gets a, a two lines into it, and he's just criticizing up and down the 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 way it was written, the way he's supposed to be reading. And eventually, he just walks out. He just leaves because he can't take it. Wow! It was just written so poorly in his his view. He just gets sick of it and leaves. But it's the funniest thing if you get a chance to to read that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, just looked it up. It's uh yeah, he did a, a wine commercial, he did a peas commercial. And uh yeah. <laughs> Those later uh later years of Orson Welles pretty interesting. Yes, yes. It, it, very interesting guy just in general. If you've never, never seen Citizen Kane, I mean it's one of the best films ever made, arguably. But I, I think it's it's awesome. <laughs> There's a very funny bit on the critic where uh Maurice LaMarche is playing Orson Welles and he's uh yeah, walking off the set of a peas commercial. I won't spoil it for you. It's very funny. Yeah, I think it's his, um, you know, it's the most outrageous one. Maybe the wine one also. But that's why, again, like, they referenced it in the Pinky and the Brain skit one time where Pinky was just talking to Brain about the frozen peas. And it's just, like, so, it's just so straight on. <laughs> just completely had- setting him up for, uh, yeah, his impression of Orson Welles there. Exactly. Now, in fact, for the Brain's voice here, uh, Maurice LaMarche has said that Brain is really 70% Orson Welles. He also mixes in what he says is 20% Vincent Price and 10% Peter Lorre, which you can kind of hear that in there. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Price I could hear, definitely. Yeah. So next uh, in the cartoon here, the Warners pop into frame. Uh, They sing the Pinky and the Brain theme song with uh, Yakko 
actually being the one releasing them from their cage here. Uh, from this theme song, we get a little exposition. Uh, we learn that Pinky and the Brain are laboratory mice whose genes have been spliced, and it results in one brain being a genius and the other Pinky being quite insane. In Australian, so I don't know what that says. Hamish, let us know. <laughs> so uh, this is evidenced uh, we see the two of them in this opening sequence they walk behind an x-ray screen and the brain has like all these gears and machinery in his head along with E equals MC squared making its second appearance in the cartoon and Pinky on the other hand has nothing but a peanut for a brain <laughs> So as this theme song ends, and, you know, this obviously becomes the theme song of the spinoff of Pinky and the Brain. When they get their own cartoon series, they use this song. As this ends here, we cut to the title card, Win Big, story by Tom Ruger, who we mentioned is, you know, one of the uh, the creators of the show, writer. Uh, it's written by Peter Hastings, directed by Dave Marshall and Rusty Mills. So from here, we open at night inside Acme Labs. Uh, in Pinky the Brain's cage, Brain asks Pinky if he's ready for tonight's plan to take over the world. And this, of course, is a running theme. Every episode, uh, Pinky and the Brain will usually have uh, some sort of world domination scheme thought up by Brain. Yes. But here, Pinky is not paying attention. He's busy watching reruns of... The Honeymooners. The Honeymooners, yeah. Did you ever watch that show, Sean, growing up? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen episodes. I, I'm not a, a huge fan or anything, but, you know, I think you have to watch it if you're a fan of TV. Yeah. And, and because it was one of the earliest TV shows out there. I mean, early 50s, Honeymooners came out. Yeah. Would you consider that? That's a sitcom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's one of the earliest sitcoms also Um, in a time that was not dominated by sitcoms. I mean, I love Lucy, the Honeymooners, but it's it's worth a watch. It's pretty funny. The character of Ralph Cramden is... is just funny. Oh, yeah. I iconic character, iconic series. Uh, does it hold up today? Eh. But, I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, it's a little... Yeah. It, it's one of those shows where, like, the jokes look so dated and old and, like, you've seen them a million times. Yeah, but this is where they started. So imagine this, this is, like, uh, where a lot of these jokes and premises got their start. So, it, you know, very important in the history of television. I, I think the funniest references to the Honeymooners in another series... And it really shows what you're saying, like it being out of touch, is um, one of the first episodes of Futurama. I think it's like the third episode or the second episode where they go to the moon. Oh, yes. And there's, there's a ride <laughs> on the moon. And, you know, Fry, not going to a Futurama's uh, episode here, but Fry is so excited to be on the moon, even though it's a giant amusement or the part they go to is in a giant uh, amusement park. Mm -hmm. And they have a ride that shows supposedly the history of the moon and the moon landings and everything. And it's like an outside and in space rides. They had to put in spacesuits to go out. And the version of the history of the moon, <laughs> it's like all, it's like almost like a small world ripoff. Yes. And Where they say that. Whalers on the moon. Whalers on the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like pirates and whalers on the moon. Um, but the biggest thing that cracks me up is they say that the motivation to go to the moon was from Ralph Cramden. Because of his famous line, uh, you know, as does the bang zoom right in the kisser. I'm going to send you, basically threatened to abuse his wife. And, yeah. um, to the moon, Alice. To the, to the moon, Alice, to the moon. And that's actually referenced in the episode of Futurama where he says, you know, oh, that wasn't about, you know, everybody just took that as that was the history and that's how it happens. Yeah. Didn't know the actual moon landing story or anything. He's like, it was just a metaphor for beating his wife. And not to, you know, obviously not to make light of that, but that's, No, not at all. But, but that's, that's what it was. That's what it was, which was yeah. crazy. And of course, you'd never get that today. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have some pretty crazy stuff on TV nowadays, mm -hmm. 
but that's like way but for a sitcom no way no. that ever pass muster anymore absolutely not so like i said certain things really do not hold up no, no that's that's definitely part of it but anyway okay so enough of the honeymooners we'll, we'll get more into that so pinky is so busy watching the honeymooners he's completely mesmerized brain shuts off the tv fires a paper clip from a slingshot type device that he made from a pencil the paper clip bounces off a ceiling lamp, hits a microscope, and ricochets right into the lock of their cage, where Brain easily picks it, setting them free. And as they slide across an office chair, walk along a laboratory counter, Brain explains that they have to construct a superconductive magnetic infidibulator. Yes. So Pinky stops again to watch TV. This time, he sees the game show Jip Parody. Which is, of course, a, uh, you know, a parody of... Jeopardy. Kind of uh, an off-colored name at this point. Jit Parody. I'm not sure where they're going with that. Yeah, I think they were just trying to find a name that fit. But yeah, that's, you know, that's not a, a good word to use. Brain gets Pinky back on track and unfurls his super complicated infidibulator blueprints. Uh, he explains how this machine will work. Uh, basically, the infidibulator will deplete hydrogen and promote gravitational collapse, producing a magnetic charge from the center of the Earth that will be so strong that every person who has loose change in their pockets will be magnetically drawn to the ground and stuck there. Yes, and that's how they're going to take over. It, it's, it's good to note that pretty much all of Brain's schemes or his ideas to take over the world are super complicated like this. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just like the most bizarre way to possibly incapacitate humanity that you could think of. <laughs> it's never easy. And Pinky congratulates Brain on a brilliant plan, but then quickly takes it back, asking, uh, what would happen if the people just take off their pants? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, then we'll have to take over the world quickly. And uh, we learn that Brain has all of the materials to make the machine right there at Acme Labs, except one, the actual infidibulator. That's that's a pretty big one. Yeah. Uh, but Brain knows where to find one. Uh, first, he and Pinky struggle to pull out a copy of the 1993 Farmer's Almanac from the other books, and they turn to the ad pages. Now, in the background, you'll notice that there's three books with names on the binding. Uh, these are references to crew members, uh, Ken Boyer and Tony Craig, who did storyboarding, and Hugh Pettibone, who worked on backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, inside, when they're looking at the ad, just above an ad for a crazy Kex's beer can birdhouse named for designer of the sh uh, in the show, Kex Singleton, they find an ad for Build Your Own Infidibulator Order Form. And did you notice the price? Only $99,000, exactly. <laughs> Which is funny. you think it would be 89999 Yeah, exactly. But, or, or, yeah, I should say 98999 So just when Pinky asks how they're going to come up with $99,000, they're distracted by a contestant crying on the quiz show they were just watching. She had wagered it all and lost when she could have won. Wait for it. $99,000. <laughs> <laughs> So this is where uh, Brain gives us another catchphrase. Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And uh, Pinky replies, I think so, Brain, but where are we going to find a duck and a hose at this hour? <laughs> so that's a running gag where, yeah, you know, recurring, yeah. he says, are you thinking, you know, pondering what I'm pondering? And Pinky replies with some crazy weird things that have nothing to do with the, the obvious plot. Yes. But uh, Brain spells it out for him, saying he can go on the quiz show and win the money they need for their device. 
Uh, so Pinky says that the, the questions are, are very hard and Brain would have to get every one of them correct. And, and Brain, who is obviously very confident in his intellectual prowess, he asks Pinky to quiz him. So we, we next get a, a thought bubble emerge from Pinky's head with a picture of a slice of pie. And he asks, what is pie? And the thought bubble immediately bursts as Brain confidently answers, the ratio of a circumference of a circle to its diameter having a value of eight decimal places of, and he goes on, do you guys know pi? Uh, 3.14159265359. Very good. Jonah can go a lot longer than I can on that one. I know 3.14 and that's it. Very, very nice. So uh, we see that Brain now has a thought bubble with the mathematical symbol Pi hovering over his head, and then he, you know, arrogantly asks, you know, give me something difficult. And so then Pinky asks, what character says bang zoom? (laughs) Brain has no time for questions like that. He tells Pinky to stop it. He smacks him with a pencil, which of course is, you know, pretty big to them. Uh, Knocks him out. Once Pinky regains consciousness, he answers, Ralph Cramden. Yep. And of course, should have paid more attention as we see going in. It's very obvious what they're laying down here. So we cut to later that night at the lab as uh, Pinky and the Brain are putting the finishing touches on a mechanical headless human body. <laughs> Brain is going to use it to disguise himself and he ties the shoelaces. He crawls in through the toe and it's so funny, the uh, the visualization the head, here. There's a little tiny mouse head in this huge body. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't create a mechanical head or anything. Brain pops down inside of the chest of the mechanical body, and we can see inside that uh, he can control the movements with a very complicated series of buttons, foot pedals, and levers. He kind of has like a captain's chair inside. Yep. Now, with Pinky in the pocket of his suit jacket, he exits the lab and steps out into the city, hailing a cab. Uh, as they get into the cab, the, the music briefly transitions into the Animaniacs theme, and yep. we see the Warners. And they, they come jumping over the cab. Yeah. With a Ralph T. Guard falling closely behind. <laughs> They run through the scene. Literally a running gag in the show. And that happens a lot. I mean, it's it's in most of, at least once, I think, per episode in one of the other segments. Yes. They jump through or, or come through and, again, like you said, changes to the Animaniacs theme briefly as they go by. <laughs> now, inside the cab, Brain asks to be taken to the uh, television uh, studios. The, the cab driver asks what happened to his head. He replies, nothing. I'm a mouse in a large mechanical suit. <laughs> and the cab driver just laughs it off. Okay, my fault for asking, right? <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. It's another running running gag in the Pinky and the Brains where they, they actually go out, where he Brain is has no problem explaining exactly what he's doing. <laughs> like, he's been trying to hide the fact at all, and, got, and it's always looked at in the same manner, usually, of disbelief uh, or just, you know, like it's a joke. Yeah. So we next cut to the set. Of the show, today's contestants are introduced. Uh, first, we get the returning champion, Alvi, who we saw earlier in the episode that Pinky was watching. Uh, next is an older lady named Dolores. And finally, Brian! Brian. As, as the announcer says. <laughs> uh, the announcer's name is Alex Quebec. Yes. Yeah, a yes, nice yes. little... I'm, I'm guessing it's a reference to uh, Alex Trebek being Canadian. Yes, yeah. So now with the game underway, Alvi selects ancient shoe sizes for 200. Uh, the answer, Socrates' pupil, Plato, wore his sandals this size. And Brian, sorry, Brain, correctly <laughs> answers with, what was seven and a half? <laughs> like, what? So Brain next selects the, from the category, Kings Named Moshushu for 200. <laughs> now, the, the answer here is, he ruled less, though, in 1820. And Brain correctly answers, who was King Moshushu the first? <laughs> now I looked this up now 
they misspelled Lesotho, or, you know, they, they just called it Leso. But yes, Mushushu uh, ruled Lesotho from 1822 to 1870. I thought this was a name they made up for the show. Yeah, I thought so, too. I had no idea that was real. I thought that was totally uh, fake. Did yeah. you look up uh, Plato's shoe size, too? I, that I did not find. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this was a real man. In fact... Uh, the international airport in Maseru, which is the capital city of Lesotho, is named after uh, Mashushu, and there is a national holiday in his honor. So very much a real person. Oh, that's funny. So Brain, still called Brian here, is asked to select again, and he chooses from the category Isle of Yap for 400, uh, which Isle of Yap, real place. Uh, the mm -hmm. answer, three Yapian island neighbors, and he correctly answers, by car, I look, and ailing Lapaland. Hmm. So... Just to explain this one, uh, Yap is a Pacific island that is part of the Federated States of Micronesia, even though Yakko did not sing about it earlier. Baikar, Iluk, and Ailing Laplap are three atolls from the neighboring Marshall Islands. Very, very small. Um, just kind of funny. They wanted to put some real atolls in this, <laughs> in this question, in this episode. That's really funny, yeah. I think the funniest thing about this whole sequence is how every time <laughs> Alex Quebec says uh, Brian... He has to correct it and say brain. Yes. <laughs> it's like, just give it up. You know, after, <laughs> who cares? He's just had such a, an ego. It has to be corrected. So, you know, those are some of the questions we get. But we fade later into the episode, and he's just racking up the money. He's got 7500 uh, Then it goes up to 18200 25000 48500 Then 49500 at the end of round two. Alvi now has negative 500, poor Dolores has negative 8,700, meaning that Brain will be the only one playing in the final round. So, you know, same rules as Jeopardy, obviously. Mm -hmm. The other two, if you notice, they look really, like, beat up. Yeah, yep. And they, they slowly slink off stage. Alex asks Brain if he has any idea what he's going to do with his winnings, and of course he says that he's going to take over the world, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> no qualms about it. Alex laughs it off and replies, my fault for asking, just like the <laughs> cab driver. Nobody takes Brain seriously, I guess. Of course, why would you? This little mouse head. Yeah. So, for the final round and a chance to double his money to, coincidentally, 99000 Brain has to answer a question from the category, quotable quotes. I'm sure you guys saw this one coming. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. The answer, this classic TV character is known for saying... Bang! Zoom right in the kisser. And of and course, Pinky tried to help him, and, and Brain just could not get it. Yep. Could not remember it, and and I thought Brain, was, I thought Pinky was gonna be able to get through to him, but I guess, I guess not. But or you know, you think he would have some kind of communication with him besides being in the pocket, but uh, I don't think Pinky would cheat. Do you? No. I, I, well, who knows? I mean, they're trying to take over the world, so who knows? <laughs> it's true. Brain is absolutely shocked to hear this. He begins to sweat. He's agonizing, trying to find the right name. With no time left, he just says, Pinky, and defeatedly slumps onto the podium. The answer, of course, Ralph Cramden. And Brain wagered everything. So instead of the 99,000, he gets nothing. Uh, as Alex signs off, we cut to static. And we see that we've been watching the show on Pinky and the Brain's TV. Uh, Pinky switches over to other game shows. You know, maybe, maybe Brain, you can try these. This Wheel of Misfortune or 10,000 Pile of Mud. <laughs> Parodies of Wheel of Fortune and $10,000 Pyramid. But Brain says no, he had a long day, decides he's going to rest up for tomorrow night. Uh, Pinky asks why and what they'll be doing. Brain replies with his usual saying, the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Tried to take over the world. 
So the screen closes in on brain and we the get pinky, a... The pinky and the brain, yes. brain, 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 brain. <laughs> it's funny too, going back to the Honeymooners references, this is actually another reference to not only Jeopardy, but there was a Honeymooners episode. Yes, I was going to ask if you guys yeah. knew that, yeah. Yeah, so it's a $99,000 answer and it's the same kind of um, premise where Ralph and his friend Norton... You know, Ralph's trying to, he's going to be in the game show. Norton keeps on singing the song uh, Swanee River, <laughs> which, you know, makes, I never saw the episode myself, but makes Ralph lose the contest over that song. So same premise or very similar premise, I guess you yeah. would say. But that was so great, you know, and uh, I, I found that too in my research after the episode. I just thought this was like, oh, a basic setup, basic premise, and maybe they're just lovingly recalling the Honeymooners in this episode. But no, this is a, a play off of that episode, which is ranked one of the best television episodes of all time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, really uh, beloved episode of The Honeymooners, which, of course, you know, I didn't watch it regularly. Like you, I didn't pick up on it until afterwards, but how yeah. great is that? Yeah, a direct parody, and they're actually using The Honeymooners now for their parody of it. So that's the end of the Pinky and the Brain segment. What'd you guys think? Jonah? I think it was pretty good. Yeah, for the first one ever, it's it's great. I mean, it really gives, again, a good idea of what Pinky and Brain is going to be about every time. And you think that would get boring after time with the same, you know, basically the same premise every time they come on in the same lines. Like, are you pondering what I'm pondering? But the answer is always different that Pinky gives. Again, yeah. that makes it interesting. So you know what's going to happen, but it's still fresh. It was a good one. It was a good Pinky and the Brain. There's no bad ones, I don't think. So, yeah. Yeah, right, right off the bat, like you mentioned, they hit all the marks. You know, you know, are you pondering what I'm pondering? You know, we're going to take over the world. A everything, all the running gags are all set up here. And uh, we're, we're going to see them throughout. So, yeah, great, great episode of Pinky and the Brain. Uh, a true classic. But even though that's our last segment, we are not done. Uh, like you mentioned, there's a couple of little vignettes here and there throughout the episodes. And so we, we open on a scene where the Warners are running through a city park. They stop, and Yakko tells us that it's time for today's lesson. This is by far my most favorite part of any episode of uh, Animaniacs. <laughs> the wheel of morality cracks me up every single time. <laughs> it's just so funny. So they, what they do is they wheel over a, a giant game show style wheel. On it, we see the numbers one through eight, along with lose a turn, bankrupt, trip to Tahiti, and five thousand uh, dollars. As Yakko gives it a spin, he recites. Can you guys recite it? Wheel of morality, turn, 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 and tell us the lesson that we should learn. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, it stops on moral number two in this instance. Uh, a slip of paper with the moral of today's story is then uh, printed from a printer attached to the wheel. It's not even anything attached to the, the wheel itself. Actually, the printer prints it out. Yakko reads, and uh, did, you, did you catch this moral, Sean? If at first you don't succeed, blame it on your parents. <laughs> is that true, Jonah? Uh, no. <laughs> really? Okay. Huh? It's the uh, theme of the millennials nowadays. Yes, it is. There's a lot of other morals, such as people who live in glass houses should, should get dressed in the dark. <laughs> but this is the very first one, because it's the second episode of the series. This is the first Wheel Morality. It's funny because this was actually a parody of not, not so much Wheel of Fortune, as some people think, though it kind of is. But I guess around this time, it was an FCC suggestion to animators or to people who created you know, content for children mm -hmm. that it should have, um, they should add moral and educational value to these shows. <laughs> so that was, uh, so this is their answer to that by putting in the wheel of morality. Oh, that's great. That's so that's why they're so like disinterested when they're reciting the wheel of morality. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. That's awesome. And it's funny too, that there's a, um, 
If you get the wheel, they're numbered, of course. But there's a lose a turn option on the wheel. Yeah. Which never falls on. <laughs> or not trip or trip to Tahiti or bankrupt or anything like that. No. Yeah. And they never win the money. That's funny. So, yeah, they read the moral and, and Wacko calls it deep. <laughs> now, our, our daily lesson is cut short as uh, we then hear a whistle and the Warners are chased off screen by the Warner Brothers Studio security guard, once again holding a net. And so from here, we cut to a shot of the Warner Brothers water tower, changing from day to night, along with an instrumental version of the theme song and our closing credits. And uh, at the very end, we then cut to the open door on the front of the water tower as the Warners sign off. Yakko says, I'm Yakko. Wacko says, I'm Wacko. And Dot says, and I'm cute. So the door slams shut. We cut to black. And here we get the logos for Amblin Entertainment. That's, uh, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg's company with the E.T. logo there. And uh, Warner Brothers Pictures. Yep. And that is the end of Animaniacs. So, guys, what are your thoughts now upon revisiting uh, Animaniacs for this episode of the podcast? We'll start with you, Jonah. It was a great episode. One of my favorites. It was the second episode of the series. Have you seen them all? Uh... Yes. Probably close, yeah. Probably yeah. close. Netflix is a beautiful thing. <laughs> it truly is. Now, is Pinky and the Brain on Netflix too, or is it just Animaniacs? You know, actually, it's a funny thing, Scott, you mentioned this, because I looked this today, and I'm we're talking on October 1st. Animaniacs is no longer on Netflix as of today. I was going to mention that, yeah. Which is a big bummer. I actually looked to, to watch some episodes, or actually, my, my daughter looked to watch some episodes, because it's one of their favorite shows, Animaniacs. And is now off Netflix, um, which is a real big bummer. Yeah. And Pinky in the Brain is not. I've never saw Pinky in the Brain on Netflix. Why do you think that they take stuff on, off Netflix? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's a, a theme for another podcast. <laughs> you know, they get the rights to, to air them over their streaming services for a certain amount of time. And they probably negotiated the term. And But it might come back. You know, that's the funny thing about Netflix, too. Yeah. Is I've seen shows go off and then two months later they come back on. Because they renegotiate the rights and they, they get back on again for six mm. months or whatever. So, yeah, you know, once we get those new episodes, you know, maybe we'll see uh, Animaniacs make its return to Netflix. So, unfortunately, uh, right now, maybe the only way to get it is the DVD box sets. But those are definitely worth getting, especially as now we're kind of approaching Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Maybe they'll go on sale somewhere. I don't know. But it, it's definitely worth getting some home releases. And there's, right. there's four volumes, correct, Scott, I believe, of the Animaniacs on it's DVD? It's something like that, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, obviously we talked about the seasons weren't quite traditional seasons, so they broke them up into volumes. Yeah, I would definitely say it's a good purchase, and hopefully it does come back on Netflix. But if you do have the, the means to buy Animaniacs on DVD, it, it's a great show. It's just really funny, and again, it's it's timely for every age group, I think, out there. It's silly, It's it's not crass at all, I would say. The jokes are very still family friendly, obviously, for yeah. what it is. And it, there's no, I can't recall one bad episode of Animaniacs. They all kind of run into each other, and there's not like, there's no stinkers in there. It's just a good, funny show. Yeah. If you're into that, if you're into animation and that kind of thing. And there's so much going on in every episode where if there's like, all right, I'm not into this segment, it, it ends so quickly, and then you're on to another story. You know? Yeah. Or you skip to the next episode, or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. They're short. Right. You know, it's 20 minutes, especially on DVD without the commercials and stuff. It's not a big deal. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your wheel of morality lessons, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play, or visit us at our subreddit, Hitting Play Podcast. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? 
I do have something I want to plug, actually. Of course, you know, our, our subreddit would be great, since I, I'm always on that, trying to jump more attention to that. <laughs> There's actually something I found today, which I really have to plug. It's hilarious. It's a webcomic. It's on Tumblr. And if you're a Star Trek fan, I know, Scott, you, you semi-kind of are. Mm-hmm. But of course you know, Scott, who Chief O'Brien is, correct? Miles O'Brien, right? Miles O'Brien. Yep. And what was his role on the Enterprise? you remember? Oh, man. Was he an uh, engineer? He or was engineer was in Deep Space Nine. Was he in the transporter room or something? Exactly. He was the tran- transporter chief. Okay. So, you know, you would see him mostly when they're going to transport down to a planet or something or a ship. He would be in a <laughs> transporter room sitting there. There is a great webcomic. I just found this today, and I, mm-hmm. it's so awesome. I've been reading them all day. It's called Chief O'Brien at Work. If you go on Tumblr, and or I think it's actually chiefobrienatwork.com is the website for it. and have all of the back comics on there. There's like 185 of them now. Oh, wow. But it just shows what Chief O'Brien does when he's standing there all day <laughs> in the transport room. If you're a fan of especially Star Trek and Next Generation, it's hilarious because he just sits around and he stands there and these wacky things happen to him. And this show, it's just funny. You just have to go check it out yourself. So... <laughs> ChiefO'BrienNetwork.com, very very funny webcomic. Cool. And uh, since we're just briefly talking about Star Trek, what what do you think of Discovery? Very briefly. I am pleasantly surprised. I have to redact my previous statement from a podcast about six months ago when the first trailer came out, and I was kind of negative about it. You know, the, the thing I'm not happy about, I think, which is ninety percent, ninety nine percent of the the audience is not happy about, is the fact that it's on CBS All Access only. Right, in the yeah. United States, in Canada. Um, Mexico and Panama? Mexico and Panama. <laughs> Haiti, Jamaica, yes. Peru? That's okay, correct. Sorry. Well, that, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, you can get on Netflix. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was very good. I, I I really enjoyed it. It's beautiful. I could say that. I mean, the visuals are really, really, really good. I watched the first two episodes already, and I, I would definitely recommend it, because I think it's, it's going to be... It's not like a normal Star Trek series, mm-hmm. where it's episodic, and, you know, one episode, they're going to this location. Next episode, they're going to this next location or something else happens that's strange. It's going to be a continual theme throughout running throughout all the episodes of the season or continual arc, I guess mm-hmm. you can say, which is interesting. It's an interesting concept. And I, I really did enjoy it. I'm looking forward to the future episodes. I've, I do have CBS All Access for the time being for other things. So, but I am not pleased with that aspect of it yeah I, I i think it would have been a lot smarter i know they're trying to sell their online service okay fine in the long run i think it would have been a lot smarter for them to put it on network tv and it would have gone crazy on network tv yeah but that's what are you gonna do maybe they will i mean i'm not gonna give cbs all access a lot of praise unfortunately and we could do this on another podcast too right, right, but yeah in my opinion it's not very good service it's very slow and clunky especially on i have on the roku and it's just it, it, it freezes up a lot. It pauses a lot. It's not as fast as like the Netflix app. So anyway, that, but it, I would recommend it. I'm sure we'll do a future episode on Star Trek Discovery, possibly. Another quick plug, if you like Star Trek, a show that I liked also that came out recently on Fox that is on network TV, Fox on Thursday nights is the Orville. And I know, Scott, you're not a big fan of the lead actor of that show yeah. and the creator of that show, but it is a very funny show and actually does have some sci-fi creds to it it's not just all humor it's it's actually pretty good yeah. on a sci-fi level too so i would recommend that also all right that's that's my it's sean's recommendations for the week <laughs> well i just want to get your thoughts on discovery <laughs> because like you said uh in an earlier episode i think it's the episode we did the uh 
the we went over the trailers of uh, Wonder Woman and Justice League. That's how oh, long yeah. ago we we got this trailer for Discovery as well. And uh, I forget, I think you called it hot garbage or something. It was hot. You know what? And I stand by that. <laughs> that first trailer yeah. was hot garbage because the ship looked like garbage. Yeah, yeah. And in my opinion, and they they must have heard the episode in my comments and about 90 million other people. <laughs> and that must have been a really, really, and for granted, it wasn't a very long trailer to show the, spa- the ship going out of, you know, space dock. Right, right. Basically. But it just looked horrible. Just the graphics, but... They up their game because that's one thing about Discovery, like I said, the effects are beautiful compared to other Star Trek series mm-hmm. in the past. And it's just gorgeous to what they did. So I look forward to it just for that. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. I, you know, I wanted to follow up to it, at least even if we yeah. don't get to, uh, to cover it on the podcast. I think, you know, we should get the follow-up, your your opinion now no. after seeing it. So that, that's good. I'm glad. You know, I'm uh, first and foremost, I'm, well, I mean, really, like, X-Men is my, my big thing. But I, I like S- Star Wars more than Star Trek. But I do appreciate Star Trek. I do like some yeah. good Star Trek shows. And, uh, you know, I'm always rooting for the franchise. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, they're uh, getting better footing than uh, with Enterprise. I just hope people watch it. That's the thing. I hope uh, more people yeah. are able to see it. That That's going to be the big thing is if people are going to care enough. That's a big commitment. I mean, and you know the annoying thing, too, about CBS All Access, not to diss it too much, but it has people don't know this or maybe they'll understand. They, they say it's, you know, seven bucks a month, seven bucks, six nine nine a month, whatever mm. it is. That's still with ads. There are still ads on that. Yeah. When you're watching a six nine nine, you're paying seven dollars a month for a service where you get to see basically new TV shows. They have that couple days or a day after or whatever for the new shows and older shows. But you're still paying, it, but you still get ads on it. And to get the ad free version, you have to pay ten bucks a month. Oh wow! Okay. That, that's ridiculous in my mind. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, it's still new, so they're every all these companies are trying to feel their way through this. Their model is set up and everything, but yeah. Well, boo, boo for that. <laughs> I know. Like, like Jonah says, you know, Netflix is a a beautiful thing. So, Star Trek Discovery, two thumbs up. CBS All Access, two thumbs down. Okay, <laughs> so two flat palms overall. Two the... flat palms. So it's, yeah, it's neutral overall. <laughs> the, the aggregate score, two palms. That's right. All right, uh, I'm on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Instagram. My name there is MC underscore and underscore Friends. And there I, I post uh, drawings and animations and, uh, you know, fun stuff like that. So you, you can check me out there. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio as well as the Google Play Music app, so check us out on those platforms. Uh, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are released. Uh, also, if you have an Alexa-enabled device, there is also a way... That uh, you can hear us on those somehow. I don't have one, so... You ask Alexa. You say, Alexa, play Hitting Play. Well, Matt Nelson, our regular guest, uh, the comic book uh, writer and artist, creator of Catbeard the Pirate, had some difficulty getting his to play us. So, really? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly on the details of how to get it to work. Uh, next time he's on the show, um, maybe we, we can uh, mess around with it and see if we can get his to play play. We our, can have uh, tech support episode. corner. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anything you can do to help us, it, it's very much appreciated. Well, we have been Jonah, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye, nurse.